Hello and welcome to the Marysville Church of Christ Podcast Network. This is Heritage, and my name is Bishop Darby. I'll be your host today. Last week we followed a woman named Phoebe on her Mission Impossible, 800 miles through four boat trips through some of the most dangerous places on earth at the time as she was tasked with delivering one of the most dynamic and dangerous pieces of writing ever written. We see that her actions change the course of church history and still changes us today. Every time one of us reads the book of Romans, we're reading her influence. And it challenges us to remember that each one of us, every single one of us, has a role, powerful, and what we believe is beyond us. Following ensued, I think it's important that we just continue the story of another person near Concry, the home of Phoebe, who would have had a lot of relationship with Phoebe, who also changed the course of the Christian landscape forever. See, Concry was a port city located due east of Corinth, not too far away. In fact, it probably would have called itself Corinth. And this port city was one of the wealthiest in the world because of a recent addition of a levee system that allowed people to travel across the isthmus instead of around it. This influx of wealth changed the landscape of Corinth literally overnight as it became a fast-growing Roman settlement to one of the most booming metropolises that the Roman Empire boasted. Within 20 years, from 40 to 66 AD, 46 to 66 AD rather, this city would have grown to one of the top ten largest in the region and quickly became a city of mythic proportions. The wealth, the prominence, the power, the glory of Corinth shown as a beacon throughout the Roman Empire. But not just in the political Roman Empire, but also in the church there. The church of Corinth kind of stood as one of the beacons to the rest of the Christian world. Early in Christian development, the Church of Corinth already had such prestige and such power. But why is that the case? And how would that change us today? To start, I'd like to introduce us to a couple. A couple located in Corinth. Very, very wealthy trading merchants. Probably a monopoly owner of one of the biggest companies. And can cry. They would have lived in the fields of Ephra in between Corinth and Cancry with a beautiful home and a sprawling estate. Their house would have looked like what you would imagine a Greek temple to look like. Marble columns everywhere, beautiful archways, fountains, and gardens. And not only that, but on their sprawling estate would have been a tenant farm, maybe two, a beautiful vineyard, a giant pool for swimming and fishing, and more. There would have been dozens, if not hundreds, of laborers that worked in this estate, as was generally the case. People coming in and out as if it was a bustling city of its own, carrying parchments and important letters to this family that was one of the most influential and powerful in the city of Corinth. They would have had tremendous wealth and tremendous sway, tremendous power. This is a place that the proconsul of Rome would have found himself at dinner parties, the head of the Jewish synagogue and other local religious leaders. Even major priestesses from the cult would have found themselves there. This was one of the places to be the hottest spots 
and this is where we find the hero of our story today. Somewhere along the line, the husband would have died of this couple, leaving a probably middle-aged woman alone to upkeep one of the biggest estates in Corinth as well as probably the, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, trading companies in the region. She would have had to have been savvy. She would have had to have been cunning and intelligent, shrewd even, to maintain the company's business estates, especially with people outside of Corinth who devalued women. But she would have done it well. Chloe herself would have been born Greek and probably to a middle or upper class family. So she would have been taught Greek and Latin, as well as probably Arabic and other languages at the time. She would have been educated in Homer and Plato and Aristotle. She would have been eloquent to talk both economy and politics, as well as art and literature. And she had, beyond all else, accumulated a lifetime of prestige. But there was something that Chloe, the woman, was hiding. A secret, shameful to the society, and dangerous for her life. Chloe was a Christian. And not only was Chloe a Christian, but Chloe was housing a group of these insurrectionists in her home, these insurgents who believed in another king. They were there, right under people's noses, and no one had any idea. When the Church of Corinth was getting started, it made sense that Chloe's house would be the place to have it. Outside of the city, they could easily make excuses to go there because there were always people coming in and out of Chloe's home. And not only that, but it's very likely, in fact, we have church history evidence to prove it, that these Christians would have dressed as if they were day laborers coming in or out of the tenant farms or carrying with them large parchments to act like they were bringing Chloe's news whenever they would meet daily to worship. It's amazing how they would have used their ingenuity to get in and out of Chloe's home for the purpose of worshiping without anyone noticing, especially during some of the more violent proconsuls in the reign of Nero. This giant guise, this ruse, was well-planned and crafted, all under the very, very watchful eye of Chloe herself. She would have protected the people, often getting people out of jams and making sure that no one asked too many questions by using her political clout to stop inquisitive minds and curious guards. She would have used her influence and power to ensure that she was above reproach publicly so that no one would question or doubt or begin to look too harsh into what was going on in her home. See, Chloe had a tremendously brilliant mind. And on her side was the fact that she had tremendously powerful allies. As the Church of Corinth began to grow, Chloe used her political influence to get some of the biggest names in Corinth to join her church under wraps. Crispus, who was a Jewish synagogue leader. Staphianus, who was believed to be a guardsman or a head of the Roman battalion there. And Gaius, a wealthy traveling silversmith with incredible wealth. Not only that, but as perhaps an act of grace and mercy and love and reconciliation, in her home church was another woman named Phoebe, an equally powerful and rich trading widow of probably a rival company. This church of powerful and rich people mixed with the slave and the servant 
was able to continue to stay alive and thrive even, despite the pressure of the city around them because of this woman, Chloe. But there came a point when divisions inside of the church threatened to split it in half. Political, theological, and social disagreements began to rend the church apart. As Jews and Greeks fought over philosophy and religion, as practices and tendencies of the hard right versus the hard left became evident, and political disagreements over what degree the the Roman Empire should have uh, control over Jewish city-states was beginning to heat a fever pitch. In just about every way possible, this church that was once thriving in the home of Chloe, under her watchful and studious eye, was beginning to fall apart at the seams. And so in desperation, Chloe did something remarkably dangerous and very risky. She began to write. She wrote a letter to the Apostle Paul, begging him for answers so that she could write the ship of her home church and she could help everyone settle and find the unity of Christ. What Paul wrote was a three-volume set in response, of which we have two of them preserved in our Bibles today, First and Second Corinthians, and a third letter that never got added into the canon. What's remarkable about this story is that this woman's actions of not only maintaining, keeping, and helping the church thrive and hide under plain sight, not only did she use her political intrigue and her wealth for the kingdom of God in a remarkable way, saving some of the wealthiest and the richest and also caring for the poorest of the communities. Not only was she remarkably philanthropic and benevolent, able to use her political power and her wealth to be able to maintain and protect the poor and the sick, and the forgotten. But when everything was about to fall apart, she had the courage to write a letter, a letter, by the way, that she would have had to have put her seal on and send. And if anywhere along the line a Roman guard was to find that letter and read it, with her seal there on it, there was nothing she could have done except endure the consequences and punishments. She cared so much for her church and so much for her her home and her faith that she was willing to risk it all to protect it. Her power, her prestige, her finances, her wealth, her company, everything, even her own life was on the line so that she could bring peace and unity to the church in her home, a church she had labored for, a church she had protected, and a church that she loved. Today, every time we read the books of 1 and 2 Corinthians, we are reading the labor and the response to the labor of a powerful and amazing woman named Chloe. We are inspired today by her questions and her wit, and we are shaped and forever altered because of her willingness to take a chance for unity. How are we taking chances for unity today? What are we willing to look past and over and around to maintain the love of Christ Jesus. And if it came down to it, if our lives were on the line, if our prominence was on the line, if our wealth was on the line, if everything was on the line, would we take the gamble, the bet, on Jesus and his church? Would we, like Chloe, show our allegiance to him? I'll see you next week.